In September of 1915, Gene Debs gave his views of the war, then raging in Europe. I am not a capitalist soldier. I am a proletarian revolutionist. I am opposed to every war but one. I am for that war with heart and soul. And that is the worldwide war of the social revolution. In that war, I am prepared to fight in any way the ruling class may make necessary, even to the barricades. That is where I stand and where I believe the Socialist Party stands or ought to stand on the question of war. Do you like Philomena or would you have rather read the article? <laughs> was it just adapted from an article and not a book? Um, I think it was a book. I think it was oh, a book. Okay. But like, I, um, yeah, it, it was just like, it was Oscar bait, you know? Yeah, right. No, I never saw it. I saw it on an airplane. I like Steve Coogan, but... Yeah, uh, but go back to doing sad comedy, man. Yeah, do... Or just even Tropic Thunder. <laughs> That's right! Yeah. He was the director, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, now he is the deranged director. <laughs> and in Tropic Thunder, they were making a movie like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Underrated movie. Yeah. Was he behind Tropic Thunder? Was it his project? No, I don't think so. I think Ben Stiller was. Right. Right, right. Danny McBride, our new fave, was also in that. That's right. Oh, my God. Um, I watched... Uh, God, we can't just talk, talk about movies. Like, yeah. Well, I but, don't think anything really happened this week. Well, I want I mean, a ton happened, obviously. Yeah, right. But, uh, yeah. I, I wanna, the Israeli elections. Oh, my God. Yeah. No surprise. Anyway. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back to... Uh, <laughs> So, did you see the Gravelanche tweet back at Matt Chrisman? No, was it when Matt Chrisman said, uh, like, I <laughs> just hope the Gravel teens will let me choose my own method of execution? Yeah, did you see their response? No. Oh, uh, can I read it to you? Or... <laughs> yeah. They're going to uh, milkshake duck at some point, I would think. You think so? Unless just maybe that... Gen Z won't milkshake duck. They were raised on this shit. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. They either haven't been on social media or, like, yeah. it's all on their Finsta. Oh, right, or when I, I was just thinking at some point they would have my Gravel tweet something problematic. <laughs> Which, I mean, maybe they have already. Uh, well, only if you think open borders is problematic. If you're Ooh, into Bernie let's get that into way. This. Yeah. Yeah, right. Everyone, on t this is why you were saying Twitter's been unbearable lately. I mean, just it's because, one of the reasons. Because they're also dragging him for, like, being a millionaire. Yes. Hilarious. He worked hard for that money. <laughs> hey, if you write a best-selling yeah. book, you too can make a million yeah. dollars. He earned his money the old-fashioned way by being a uh, backbench senator for 30 years. <laughs> Uh, and then running a insurgent uh, primary campaign. Yeah, I'm scrolling past rapidly these videos of Venezuelans saying, you know, we will be your Latin American Vietnam, so I can find this microbell tweet back. Yeah. <laughs> so Matt Chrisman said, because they talked about it on Chapo yeah. this week. Matt Chrisman said, by the way, they should not be, <laughs> they should not be taunting us like that. That uh, you, you'll be the South American Vietnam, like. Like, you know what I mean? Any neocon that reads that tweet is just like, oh, yeah? Nothing makes us want to go to war more than remembering the uh, <laughs> humiliation of Vietnam. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what revanchists and people like yeah. us want to hear. <laughs> right, and it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, we already have a Middle Eastern Vietnam. We right. might as well, like, fill out the punch Yeah, card. seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt Christman said, hoping the Gravel teens take pity and let me choose my own method of execution. And that's currently at 2.5k likes. And uh, Mike Gravel's response, or the teen's response, is when the Zoomer revolution comes, you'll get the Trotsky treatment, you friggin' Menshevik. 
<laughs> and that's at 1.8. So wait, why is why is Matt Christman a Menshevik? Uh, so I think for I, I think probably they're mostly joking. But, but is like it because Chapo won't have them on. I mean, I think it's because Chapo's a little reactionary against them. Yeah, isn't Mike Gravel? pretty fucked up though what's fucked up about him didn't he okay well he said some stuff about jews hasn't he <laughs> has he but also didn't he like work for the cia uh, well so i actually know this story because the yeah clara jeffries is all on it um clara jeffries from like mother jones exactly yeah like she already is upset that twitter likes mike gravel okay so first of all this is who's yeah. getting embedded i am embarrassed to have uh repeated a Clara Jeffries day. So the story about this, just because I uh, looked into it after that happened, was Mike Ravel in the 50s, because yeah. he's old as shit, uh, he yes. saw that his draft number was coming up during a little thing we call the Korean War. Yeah. And so rather than get drafted, he enlisted, which, you know, maybe there were braver, more difficult things to do. He could have draft dodged right. in other ways, but he decided to enlist in intelligence in the okay. military. And he still thought he was going to get shipped off to Korea and go kill a bunch of Koreans. But instead, he got placed in Germany. And he grew up as a Quebecois yeah, I just diasporan. Yeah. Or do you think he's, um, it's an Obama situation? <laughs> he's actually from Let's Canada. see that long form. He's, yeah, he's actually from Montreal. <laughs> But he, yeah, he was allegedly uh, from the Quebecois diaspora, say that 10 times fast. And so he grew up speaking Canadian-American French. And so he wasn't really useful in Germany, but they moved him to France afterward, where he was used to infiltrate communist rallies. And in addition to that, like, just follow people on the street, like, just be a spy. Yeah. And so he... he... And look, we all have a pre-woke phase. <laughs> But he, I mean, he's spoken really openly about it since then, and it's in his bi in his uh, autobiography or his memoirs or whatever, he talks about it, and he says, like, it, and, you know, there's no way to verify this at the time, and he didn't, like, you know, uh, frag his officers or anything like that, he was still spying on people, but he says that even at the time, he was revolted at himself, and it was part of his radicalizing moment that he was like, right. yeah, I was just following this guy around because he had Russian ancestry in France, you know, and, like, he right. was suspicious to us, and so we were surveilling him, and it made me totally ashamed and he's expressed total regret for it ever since so you know yeah he was uh he enlisted to stop himself from getting shipped off to murder a bunch of east asians and then he ended up spying and hating himself for it so like yeah i don't think that's too bad i mean i, I think it's really bad i think like he is implicated as we all are in the empire right. but i i think he's done you know as much work as one can do to a certain degree to try to end the empire and I think, like, this stuff about Bernie saying he's not for open borders, I don't think that's a nothing story, you know? I think, like... Oh, okay, we should get into this, because I think we'll, we probably disagree. Okay, but, yeah. But um, there's this Jewish worker article. Uh-huh. I don't know if they're good or not. I think I follow them on Twitter, but I just don't Two know. things I hate, work and being Jewish. <laughs> Mike Gravel's Unseemly Associations by uh, Naftali Botwin. Okay. Unfortunately, since leaving the spotlight in 2008, Gravel has sought attention in somewhat darker places. After endorsing an independent investigation of 9-11 that same year, Gravel became a frequent speaker on the 9-11 Truth Circuit, including regular appearances on Truth Jihad, a podcast by known Holocaust denier Kevin Barrett, which is funded by alt-right philanthropist Ron Unz. Barrett promotes the conspiracy theory that 9-11 was perpetrated by the State of Israel with the complicity of American Jewry. In 2013, Gravel attended an Iranian government conference on 
quote unquote Hollywoodism in Tehran at Barrett's behest, ostensibly to discuss the negative depiction of the country in American media. Interesting. I'm more of a cultural Hollywoodist. (laughs) (laughs) He told Foreign Policy afterwards, a fellow by the name of Kevin Barrett, who I know, I had spoken on a television show or radio show frequently. He suggested to them that they invite me and it took off from there. In the same interview, Gravel acknowledged the extremist views of the conference's other participants, saying that some of them were, quote, off the charts, particularly regarding, quote, their attitudes towards Zionism. Gravel has also been a speaker at events organized by supporters of Lyndon LaRouche, Mm -hmm. the neo-fascist conspiracy cult figurehead and perennial presidential candidate who died last month at 96 and was well known for his anti-Semitism. Pouring out some Darjeeling for the real one. (laughs) According to a 2015 article in LaRouche's Executive Intelligence Review, Gravel spoke at LaRouche event in October of that year, where he said he was, quote, delighted to be associated with the LaRouche organizations. Gravel also participated in a LaRouche pack town hall in 2017. Oh my god. Uh, Oh, there's a response from the Gravel campaign from those teens. What do they say? Do do those teens go to school? (laughs) Do they have jobs? They are just... Online, There's multiple updates here. All right. the So this is the statement from the Gravel campaign. This piece fairly does not attempt to paint Senator Gravel as an anti-Semite and instead points out relationships he has had over a career spanning decades. This is great journalism and this is exactly why the news media should uh, do for every candidate. Senator Gravel has a policy of taking his message to whoever will have him and has sometimes resulted in an appearance of comedy where none exists. Gravel has always condemned in the strongest terms uh, I mean, that's a cool thing, and it's because he's not really running for president. Right. But, like, they can just be like, yeah, he did do that. Right, yeah. yeah. But that's awesome. Like, I mean, it's not awesome that he spoke at a LaRouche pack, but LaRouche, I mean, those people have an outsized presence on the fringe left. They are a real, I mean, not so much now, and especially yeah. after the guy died, but, you know, this was a problem at the first Occupy Wall Street organizing meeting was, like, the LaRouche people uh, showed up and tried to take it over, and the RevCom people came and tried to take it over. If you're on the anti-war left, I think it is really hard to keep yourself clean. Like, I would say Bernie Sanders has friends who are probably worse than Lyndon LaRouche, uh, like any senator does, I think. Wait, who are Bernie Sanders' friends that are worse? I mean, I'm not sure. Like, do you Or think any he... senator's friends. Right, do you exactly. just mean, like, like other senators. generals like, and stuff? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, right. uh, you know, Mueller or whoever, right? right? Like, Okay. I want to hear more about this anti Semitism and other kind of fringe association stuff. Yeah. I don't know enough about it, but I do kind of. I, it does not surprise me that that's one of the first things that has been brought up, and I wouldn't let it discredit him immediately, especially yeah. because I think his platform is pretty close to utopian, uh, at least as close as we'll get this cycle. Well, let's get into the open borders thing. Yeah. Yeah, what Bernie Sanders. I mean, he said the same thing that he has said repeatedly, which is that he doesn't believe in open borders. How would you deal with the social services connected with uh, opening the borders, such as health care, medical care, and... Who uh, do you think is suggesting opening the borders? Well, um, you're an activist for opening for... No, I'm not. afraid you may be getting your information wrong. That is not my view. Okay, I apologize. Thank you. I think what we need is comprehensive immigration reform. That is not simply... You're you're quite right. If If your point is you open the borders, my God... You know, there's a lot of poverty in this world, and you're going to have people from all over the world. And I, I, I don't think that's something that we can do at this point. Can't do it. So that is not my position. Open borders is a Koch brothers policy, according right. to him. Things like 
sharply raising the level of immigration we permit, even up to the up to a level of open borders, about sharply increasing open the borders. Foreign aid. Open no, that's borders. A, that's a Koch brothers proposal. The really? idea, of course. I mean, that's a right wing proposal, which says essentially there is no United States. But it would, it would make a lot me. of global poor richer, wouldn't it? And it'd make everybody in America poor. Then you're doing away with with the concept of a nation state. And I don't think there's any country in the world which believes in that. If you believe in a nation state or in a country called the United States or UK or Denmark or any other country, you have an obligation, in my view, to do everything we can to help poor people. What right-wing people in this country would love is an open border policy. Bring in all kinds of people who work for two or three dollars an hour. That would be great for them. I don't believe in that. I think we have to raise wages in this country. I think we have to do everything that we can to create the millions of jobs. You know what youth unemployment in the United States of America today? And you would have a flood of, of poor people coming in. Would, yeah, what, I mean, he's been dragged on Twitter for this. Yeah, I mean, I think right I'm, so. Yeah, okay, I mean, I watched, I was exaggerating, I mean, I was exaggerating, I was saying what Twitter is saying when he said a flood of poor people would come in. I did not really see anything that objectionable in what he said about borders. I mean, I believe in internationalism as a value, and I think we should dare to dream of a world without wage labor and without borders and without states. But I also believe that the right to move is a human right, but it is distinct from the right of capital to summon people across the world. And I think the left needs to be cognizant of that. And I think what Bernie Sanders was saying, I don't know if he said it in, in that question that he got criticized for, but he has certainly said it in other places, that we also need to talk about how we can help people in countries like Guatemala and Colombia, these countries that we have destroyed through imperialism, how we can help people have good lives there. Because I mean, I think there are times when people want to travel and they should have the right to move, but I also think most people would be happier not moving and, and if they could, they would want to have good lives where they are. Yeah. And I agree with pretty much all of that. I think part of, I, I mean, I think it is just wrong to be against open borders. Like, I, I think at a basic level, you know, that is a policy, especially at this point in history, that the left needs to get on. And I think he's wrong about it. Really? Open borders? Yeah. But it, I mean, it, he's, he is correct. It is a Koch brothers policy. Like, the Koch brothers want open borders, too. Uh, I don't think that's true. I no? Th no. I don't think that's true. Uh, in fact, this is a thing. Let me see if. We can, uh, let me see if I can find the For sure, yeah. What they have said themselves about open borders. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, go ahead. I also, I wouldn't take them at their word, and I think often what they mean, often what the real case is and what people are rightly referring to is that the Koch brothers and the billionaire class and just capital in general wants people, it, exactly like you said, they want to be able to summon people from all over the world to, you know, uh, partly, yeah, to undercut labor here and, uh, you know, just to have generally yeah. like a defeated and beat down workforce here, like they want all over the world. But they're not for legal immigration. And whether or not they say that, I right. don't buy that they're for it well, because they've been funding the... Uh, I mean, they're, but they are, that's correct, but it is, it's also the case that they are not for any kind of labor laws or any kind of regulate labor regulations. Oh, yeah. You know what sure. I mean? The reason, they, they would like to be able to treat all workers the way that they treat illegal. Exactly, right? But they yeah. wouldn't be able to treat them the same way if they had the same rights that citizens had. And that is really the policy. Like, the Koch brothers' policy is 
mostly about letting capital move between borders. And this is a Noam Chomsky thing, too. And, like, in the... Just because I was talking to Colin about this this week, like, I reread the Angela Nagel... Uh, left case against open borders and the current affairs Nathan J. Robinson uh, response to it. Yeah. And Robinson, I think, is right in that, like, there is a big difference between, uh, historically, between libertarian socialists and other kinds of socialists on Mm -hmm. this. And Noam Chomsky is one of those people who's said over and over, like, the key to NAFTA and that whole, you know, empire policy in this hemisphere is to let capital move across borders and not let people move. That actually, like, when people are talking about, you know, libertarian uh, economics Mm -hmm. that way, it's a perversion. It's exactly the opposite. It's, you know, fetishizing and giving rights to and reifying capital as people and turning people into its capital, its resources. And that's really, I mean, you know, uh, like the Ranceros who uh, Woody Guthrie wrote about like doing brownface or whatever, uh, <laughs> and like cultural appropriation. Because <laughs> I'm an immigrant too. He was the original Ariana Grande. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the you know guest workers in Germany, like uh, all of these people are, you know, the, their usefulness to capital is as this kind of limbo status right. people, and if they had the same rights as citizens, then it would be a very different story. Like. You know. Yeah, and it also aids capital because it breaks down working class solidarity. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because it uh, you create this distinction between illegal immigrants and legal immigrants or working class, native-born working class workers. And then you can divide people right. who have ultimately the same class interests. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know really where our disagreement here lies. I, I agree with what you said i don't i don't know why we fall on different sides of what bernie said though well do you think i mean i think it's okay to still support bernie and right, think he's the best yeah. candidate like i i agree with right. that but do you think there's something wrong with what he said that we shouldn't have open borders uh no i don't i was i just was not bothered by what he said i thought it was a pretty good explanation especially if you think about where normal voters are coming from. First of all, there's no candidate that supports open borders, right? Except Mike Gravel. Except Mike Gravel, that's interesting. But I, I, I don't know, I don't think... I mean, Bernie Sanders also doesn't talk about abolishing the wage system of labor, right? True. And wa- abolishing the wage system of labor is not a policy, right? It's an ideal. The same way open borders is not a policy, it's an ideal. I don't know what a policy to open borders would look like. I don't think leftist candidates, it would be something that I would necessarily want leftist candidates to get behind. And I think Bernie Sanders probably believes in the in that we ought to abolish the wage system of labor, just like the way he believes that we should have open borders, or we, not even open borders, we should abolish the state, right? I mean, I, I do think Bernie Sanders really is a socialist, and his praxis is promoting social democracy as a way to, you know, transform the consciousness of workers. Yeah. And I and I just don't see how supporting open borders would be instrumental to that. Well, I think first of all, you know, the difference between an ideal and a policy, I mean it's it depends, right? Like I, I don't see it doesn't it doesn't seem impossible to me to have a state institute a policy of open borders. Well so the like, policy wow. would just be anybody can come in. Yeah. And get a get a get a passport, they would become citizens. 
so citizenship is different, but freedom of movement first. Right. And so they wouldn't get citizenship, but anybody could come here and and live here as long as they want. And basically, the I mean, this is a plank in the microvelle. And what about have what is, about native born Americans? Right, because if you support open borders, would we? If if, in a, if someone born in America wanted to move to another country, would we, like, pay for them to move? I don't know about pay for them. Like, the ideal... So this, yeah, uh, you know, back to ideals, like, the right. idea is that, you know, we start to decommodify everything like that. Right. And, you know, people just get to enjoy freedom of movement. Yeah. Uh, that's in kind of a post-scarcity socialist utopia or whatever. I don't know how doable that is eventually. But it is also, I think, uh, you know, I think it is more important to say... You know, we're going to unilaterally disarm first. Yeah. Especially, I mean... But then would we, if somebody from Pakistan wanted to, or if a number of people from Pakistan wanted to come to America, would we pay for them to come to America? Would we, like, charter planes? I think there's an argument to be made that we should, like, even to the point of, you know, destroying the state. I don't think that is necessarily a part of an open borders policy. Like... Why not? Uh... Because the alternative is just that you you would have open borders for the people who happen to live nearby. Yeah, I mean, like those. Uh, but would you like charter buses too? I guess you could say. Like, I guess yeah. I think you. I mean, if I don't know, it depends on what you think open borders means. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, I think that's a more radical idea of open borders that I think like is the ideal to shoot for. But I think it would be fine to start with and like a huge improvement on our current policy if we just said, yeah, we just won't prevent anyone from coming. Like you're going to have to use your own resources unless you're in one of these programs that's supported. But otherwise, like whoever comes here, we just won't stop. You. Right. But then also you, I guess what you're saying is you're going any, if they want a job, they're going to have to be paid $15 an hour. At uh, least, right. At yeah. least <laughs> then they'll have to, uh, well, there won't be employer-based healthcare, right? They'll be single payer healthcare. That's the idea. Healthcare. Right. And this is one thing that I've heard David Graeber say is basically like, you know, there are all these excuses that the ruling class makes about, you know, Haiti. It's just so hard to solve those problems there. Like, right. you wish we could do something, but like, they're just going to have to be miserable. If there were a policy of open borders that you could actually independently enforce before any other changes, like in the most extreme example, don't you think they would figure out a way to make it a little nicer to live in Haiti? You know, don't you think, like, immediately there would be some solutions that people start suggesting? Like, you know what, maybe we should do uh, UBI in Haiti. Like, maybe we should, uh, you know, be, like, delivering some kind of uh, monumental change to them. Doesn't it motivate them Um, if they feel threatened by people moving in? uh, I I don't really see why that would follow. I mean, what you're asking me to imagine is a situation where we, like, had... A policy of open borders, but also continued to be like the sole <laughs> imperial power in the world. Right. It's hard for me to imagine that. Yeah. I, get I mean, that. I guess, yeah, maybe we would, but then what? Would we stop interfering or would we come up with other ways to interfere, but with the goal of keeping people from moving? I think it's very possible that like it would be that at least at yeah. first. And I. But I mean, I think the answer is also just that that is why we never would do open borders. Right. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely like. <laughs> right, yeah. But I, you know, it is a plank in the Gravel platform to have a policy of explicitly open borders. And I think that's a thing that leftists should start demanding of Bernie. And if he doesn't do it in his eight years as president, you know, Kanahara, I, I don't think that's 
you know, I, it's not something that would surprise me at all from someone who is president. You know? Yeah. But I do think it would be a disappointment, and I think anything less will uh, ensure a lot more horror that happens at the border and uh, just generally over the country. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I definitely hope that he proves to be more progressive than anyone else running on this issue besides Microvel. But um, I think he should support amnesty and, you know, measures to what, what you're talking about that employers can treat uh, illegal immigrants like, you know, second class humans and right. that they don't have to. I hope that he does pursue measures that would that would prevent employers from doing that and would crack down on employers who uh, use illegal labor as a illegal immigrants as a way to uh, pay less and uh, as a cheap source of labor. But I would I don't know. I would not go as so far as to say that I think Bernie Sanders should support open borders. Yeah, I mean, and to your question yeah. about like you know should they get passports and stuff like that, right? It's another thing where like there shouldn't be passports. There shouldn't be states. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. I you know I just I think it's important. Not necessarily for Bernie, but I think it's okay for people to be yelling at Bernie about it. And I wish he would say that he would get on board with this. But I think it's important that, you know, something monumentally changes in left politics in the U.S. And that we start to normalize the idea of open borders being an ideal, especially after the last couple of years we've had. And so I am glad for the conversation. Uh, I think, you know, I have just like hated Twitter and I don't think Twitter has, you know, been the best way to deal with it either over the last week but yeah like i i think it is cool and you know this gets back to like why i'm a gravel head now <laughs> because like you know uh like i gave a dollar i i gave 27 dollars to bernie and i i think he is the only one of the three people i gave money to who could become president and i hope he does out of the people who are running now I gave a dollar to Tulsi Gabbard because I don't like her, but I want her to be on there on the stage at the debates because I think she is more to the left than Bernie on a lot of issues of uh, war and peace. And I think just that is worth my giving a dollar to her. And I gave $4.20 to Mike Gravel because they have that as one of the options of uh, denominations you can give him. Uh, because I think he's to the left of both Gabbard and Sanders, and I hope he gets on the debate stage. I think it's really possible he will not. I think it's probably likely he won't. Uh, but Gravel? I, yeah. Yeah, I think they're just going to end up changing the rules. Well, they've also already... Those guidelines where they were like, anybody can get on the debate stage if they meet this donor requirement, those guidelines also said that they're going to limit it to 20 people. Yeah. So that at a certain point, they will just start kicking people out. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, like Tulsi just got the required number of donations today, I think. But that's no guarantee she'll get on there. No money for Yang? No, no, no money, money for Yang. Yang, no. Even though you are an intactivist. Yeah. You really, I mean, were you happy at all that he was talking about intactivism? Yeah, I absolutely that was. That he was <laughs> forcing the issue? <laughs> Yeah, and I hope it comes up on the debate yeah. stage, too. It would. It definitely would. Yeah, have I done this on the podcast yet? My Bernie Sanders on circumcision <laughs> bit? The 1% of the... Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> In a society where 1% of the penis has 90% of the nerve endings. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean... And I think it is significant that Mike Gravel is running, you know, his website says no more wars is the first thing you see. Yeah. Like, like, that is the issue that's most important to me. If I can push that more than anything, at at a presidential level in particular, uh, I think it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely... I think Bernie Sanders has come 
a long way in terms of get being better about foreign policy. But I yeah. I definitely support someone challenging him to his left on foreign policy. There's certainly a lot of room there. And you know, like Bernie, just like a month ago or something, he was asked on like the Breakfast Club or some radio show about you know if he's for legalizing sex work, and he was like, you know, I honestly don't know. Uh, like I have to think yeah. about it. And you know, he voted for Sesta Fosta, and like people were wonder wondering, okay, after he's heard the conversation about it, will he change his mind? And I think it's unlikely in the time that he would be president. Whereas Mike Gravel has a plank of his platform that is legalized sex work, you know, decriminalized sex work. And I I am really happy that there is a person, you know, be, for the same reason I'm happy for anyone running for president to say something good, not because I think they will become president, I think it's really unlikely, but because that is where the eyeballs go and because that's where, like, the media circus is. I'm glad that there's someone who has yeah. a, like, you know, Mike Gravel generation allied with a Zoomer generation outlook who can say, yeah, like, obviously you should decriminalize sex work and you should institute open borders or at least say that open borders is a good thing. Uh, you know, say that, like, yeah, we should end war. Yeah. And, you know, to the point of, like, is Matt Chrisman a Menshevik? I mean, like... <laughs> right? Like, obviously this is a joke. Yeah, like, this is what this is all coming back to. Right? You know, like, oh, we're gonna put an ice pick in your fucking head. Yeah. You know, chief, you know, whatever. Uh, like, this Twitter... <laughs> Wait, because they're too, they're too close to the Angela Nagel position? Well, it's not about the borders stuff. I haven't heard them talk about open borders, which... I think they probably should. <laughs> Open yeah. borders go on Chapo. But, you know, like, you listened to the audience questions up from this week. Yeah. You know the thing where, like, they're asked about, like, their perfect new constitution? Yeah. Uh, in general, I think that's kind of, like, a okay question. Um, right. You know, whatever. I don't really care about, like, what your perfect constitution looks like in a lot of ways. But one thing that Matt Chrisman said was, like, you know, it would be... Like, he wasn't really excited about it either, but he was like... You know, a parliamentary system, obviously. And I don't think that's obvious that that's the best uh, thing to a have for a country. A parliamentary system? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I don't think, like, representative democracy is necessarily so good. And, like, Amber Frost being like, you know, like, I am for a workers' party, and so that needs to be a party system. I think a lot of these social democrats are getting lost in the intermediate stages, which happens. And I am glad that people are coming from their left and saying like, hey, you know, there's other there's other possibilities. Yeah, I guess so. But then what like what are the other pot? Like what is what would Nathan Robinson <laughs> what yeah, what would he do to like make socialism happen? Well, you know, he is I mean, he comes from a more libertarian socialist tradition. Yeah. Like he listens to anarchists and so like I know. That's yeah, that's why I think he's bad. Yeah, exactly. I mean not that I think he's bad, I think he's interesting. <laughs> right, but you think but, um, it's, yeah, it's like what is your Yeah, what's your theory of how to take power? Well, for example, you know, like dual power is something that I think people are going to start saying a lot more, even if DSA people are going to say it with a sneer. And I think it's really interesting. I think there have been a lot of interesting and successful and noble revolutions built on dual power. You know, see what's happening in Syria, for example, or in Kurdistan, in Rojava, in Rojava whatever. But, you know, also, like, Nathan Robinson has, you know, been the editor for articles about sortition, right? Like, lottery systems for uh, if you do need 
people running something. I mean, sure, but how are how are you going to make these things happen? I mean, there's many possibilities, and like one of the anarchist cops is uh, sorry, cop outs. There are no anarchist cops, uh, but like an anarchist cop out is you know. Or are they all cops? <laughs> is uh, diversity of tactics is like a big slogan right. for them? Like, yeah, we're happy that social democrats are doing the work they're doing. We're happy that. But I, I mean, it's like not even social democrats. I mean, I don't think Chapo. I mean, to the extent that you can even like distill Chapo into like a sure. political view, right? But they're not really social democrats, right? I mean, I guess they are to a certain extent, but they—it's not just about electoralism. And I don't—I don't even really agree with electoralism as being a great tactic. Even though I'm very optimistic about Bernie Sanders, and I'm really glad that he's running, and I do find it personally hopeful. I do understand in a historical sense the limits of social democracy, yeah, and how you social democracy will never lead to socialism. I do understand that. I mean, I, I kind of hope I'm wrong and Bernie Sanders is right. Right, yeah, we all do. Um, but you still need a party, right? I I mean, I, yeah, I, mean, I come around to more of that. like a Leninist view of that. Right, anything. yeah. I mean, with my, I'm, I'm still developing my understanding of Lenin and all of this. But I don't think you can just, uh, you know, write enough current affairs pieces. <laughs> I mean that's insulting, and I under I do understand that I'm saying this on a podcast, so that's already what am I talking about? Sure, but, but I you mean... know I'm sick, so <laughs> we're both sick today. So yeah, we're, we're kinda, poor sick yeah, babies. Yeah, we don't we don't have to have a developed uh, revolutionary uh, theory. Did you see that AJ Plus video they did that was like the town with no parties? And this is one of the fucked up. It's one of the reasons I get why people don't yeah. trust anarchism is because like there are these weird supporters who are like, yeah, did you hear about this thing that's not quite voting us out of power? Yeah, and right. like you know, but it's about one of those towns in Mexico where there's an incredible anarchist tradition. Yeah, that's true. And you know, they have banned political parties because you know they think it is uh, it's social pollution basically that like parties are bad, and I you know that's partly from their own history of like parties just being a really noxious force for them I think you know we also have that history and I think a lot of places do but yeah I'm not anti-party like that yet and I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with having a party as one method of organizing but I think there are other methods and I mean we've talked about like sometimes revolutionary moments just happen right yeah exactly I think there are probably a lot of cases in which a revolutionary party is necessary I listened to the Paris Commune series from the Revolutions podcast you wrecked to me and the alliance there is between the Proudhonists who are the anarchists who actually did have the biggest representation in the working class in Paris they were the ones actually going out and converting people and saying we can improve your conditions uh, partly because they were the ones you know making libraries and like doing like health initiatives you know they were just like we can do this in parallel to the state and then there were the Blanquists right and they were basically Leninists they were vanguardists who said we're not interested in spreading our views now because it doesn't matter until there's a revolution that we can take hold of and you know that like sounds like I know like I have an opinion about which one was the better one already the way I framed it but when the war started, the Proudhonists were the ones who were like, like, we don't need to go to Versailles and burn it down. Like, we can just hang out here and, like, other revolutions will start. And the Blanquists were like, no, we have to, like, bring the war to them. We are already, by definition, at war with the other French government. Right. And they were right. Yeah, didn't that obviously. turn out to be a huge mistake to yeah. not burn down Versailles? Exactly, right? Like, I yeah. think, you know, there is a big benefit to have, 
And especially, like, you know, think about, like, the Russian Revolution. Like, Trotsky did a lot wrong. He, you know, had slave armies, basically, being his workers. But also, like, you needed a general to win a civil war. And, you know, there's an argument to be made for, like, like anarchists can't beat the Nazis, you know? You do need, like, uh, mobilizations of people to do certain things. And you need other tactics to accomplish other things. I think it's really complicated. I'm still working through a lot of it myself, you know? No, I mean, no, I think this is really just going to be a document of, like, two people whose thoughts are developing on this. And I would love to learn more about anarchist theory. I don't know a lot about anarchist theory. I don't know enough to really be comfortable critiquing it. But just the explanations of anarchist theory that I've had, I am troubled by what seems to me like a, a absence of a theory of how to take power. Yeah, and you know, the anarchist... Uh, response is like you don't need to take power right taking power is not so great and maybe there's more to that than i understand yeah i'm i'm open to that because i just don't i'm not that educated on anarchism yeah and i have to say like it's something very new for me and kind of faddish uh like admittedly yeah i had kind of a you know damascus moment with uh comrade on a bus to the stop gary deportations protest Mm -hmm. there was a person i had seen at one or two other working group meetings in the dsa on the bus and they started talking to me and they were a part of the libertarian socialist caucus in chicago uh, of the dsa and they were talking shit about other working groups which is (laughs) the favorite pastime of dsayers yeah Uh, sectarianism exactly right yeah (laughs) fractionalism uh (laughs) But they said to me, you know, what really bugs me about the socialist feminist group is, you know, they take, uh, oh my God, what's her name? Rose Luxemburg. No, uh, the other Rose. uh, They take Rose Schneiderman's slogans. They're like bread and roses and shit like that, which is all Rose Schneiderman. And uh, this person said to me, you know, she's ours. Like they can't take her. And it was the first time I had kind of realized that there was even a separate anarchist tradition that doesn't consider themselves Marxists in every case, right? Well, I mean, yeah, if you're an anarchist. Right. Like, you know, you're with Bakunin in that uh, schism, right? But they are socialists, you know, a lot of them at least. There are, you know, ANCAPs. And And I know, like, the current affairs people don't really like Marx. Yeah, Right? Like, they're really skeptical of Marx in a yeah. lot of cases. And I, you know, like, Marx wasn't Moses, for sure. I I really love Marx. I think yeah. he was a great writer, at least. And I basically like Marx. Like, I, I was really interested. I didn't listen to any of the podcasts, but I was interested in the, like, gothic Marxism uh, yeah. stuff you were talking about. Because I think, basically, the most productive way I've read Marx is like Freud, where he was just wrong about a lot of stuff and, you know, had, like, a basic understanding that... You know, he couldn't have known anything that came after him is, like, the big cliche. But that he was basically, that, like, it's been most productive to understand him as, like, a creative essayist and, you know, a general philosopher. And I think... Yeah, like like Christopher Hitchens. Yeah, I mean, basically, right? (laughs) Yeah. Except someone who did let his wife support him. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, he was a pundit. I mean, he wrote about the current events of the day. Yeah, totally. And, um... And he was a big atheist guy. Yeah, and he, like, had columns in, like, uh, the Times of London or whatever. Like, he right. would have been on, uh, he would have been on RT. He wouldn't have been on CNN, but he would have been on RT. You know he wrote a letter to Lincoln? Yes, I think I did know that. That's so cool. Yeah, and he he liked Lincoln. Yeah. And he was, uh, he, like, reported on the Civil War. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, socialism is older than Marx, right? Like, sure. To each according to his needs and from each according to his abilities. I mean, that goes back before Marx, like, the basic ideas of communism. Well, right. But as I understand it, what Marx's innovation was is that 
he... Right. The, I mean, this is, like, basically the Engels essay, Socialism, Utopian, and Scientific. Right. Right, which is that you had utopian socialism before, but what Marx cr- invented was scientific socialism, which had an understanding of class conflict and understood that the era that we are in now is unique because of the proletarian. Yeah, exactly. And within that is a theory of power and a theory of how to take power. Absolutely. That I see lacking in other tendencies. Yeah, and that's right exactly right like michael harrington has a big speech that i think is on youtube where he talks about like the history of socialism and basically cribs from a lot of authors and doesn't credit them but he talks about utopian socialism in england and how basically their strategy was any reasonable person would believe this is the best way to run a country so we'll preach to everyone we'll preach to the upper classes and right. to the lower classes they really didn't make a class conflict distinction and that marx was the yeah exactly believed in the pro proletariat as the engine of socialism and that was like uh, you know uh, right and i think there's like some complications to that but that basically that is his big contribution is historical materialism and like you know the next step in hegel's theory in a lot of ways but uh, yeah so like i like marx i'm into marx (laughs) yeah Uh, i i wonder to what extent the current affairs people are not into marx yeah. what I've heard them say about Marx is like they don't like Marx yeah that's yeah. cool and like they've I've also heard them talk about like he was also a bully and like this the tendency in socialism to like attack people rather than ideas totally. that he invented that yeah but I don't know if it's really true that he invented that I mean he attacked people's ideas so he also he did do ad hominem attacks yeah but which was cool which is cool <laughs> right yeah, yeah. and like yeah, those people were huge dorks. Right. Like, yeah. So uh, one thing, this is another Graeber thing, who was, has been a big yeah. part of my blackpilling on, like, different kind of black, right? Like, but, you know, he... he uh, is he an anarchist? He's an anarchist. He, like, he's one of... I, I told you this once where I was, like, he does that thing where he's, like, uh, you know, I think anarchism is something you do, not something you are. And you were, like, an anarchist would say that yeah. shit, right? Like, <laughs> that's such an anarchistic thing. But I've heard him say, you know, as like a dig at Marxists, he's like, you know, there is this distinction between like Marxists and anarchists generally that Marxists, especially as you get more Leninists, basically, uh, they all tend to name their movements after a single person. Yeah. And with anarchists, you get a lot more of different kinds of anarchism that are uh, described with adjectives or just like categories, right? Like anarcho-syndicalism or uh, anarcho-capitalism or primitivism. Like even the ones that are laughable and like shitty, they don't tend to have like a single person behind them because they generally, uh, one thing that's common to them is, you know, uh, less hierarchy. Sure. But I mean like scientific principles also often have people's names attached to them. Yeah, totally. Like, you know what I mean? I don't think that's necessarily a cult of personality. I think that could just be reflecting... And, and yeah. right, and I don't think, I mean, I think there's something different about, like, social movements that define themselves that way, right? But I, I do think it's just, like, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with Marxism being so heavily influenced by Marx, you know, if it's something good, and I think a lot of it is good. But I do think it speaks to how it develops in a different way. Uh, well, I'm glad we we talked about that. I feel like we had a few episodes where we were just talking about the election. Yeah. And we talked about it a little bit this week, but I'm glad we can zoom out a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. What do you think about Russia, Miss Goldman? I consider Russia and America the most interesting countries in the world today. How about Hitler? I don't know him and don't want to. What is your opinion of Italy? Beautiful country minus Mussolini. <laughs>